Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, today we're shifting gears a little bit from 10 weeks on kind of environmental stewardship and our responsibility as people of faith and shifting gears to uh, a little mini series on love and Jesus's greatest commandments. Well, there are rules for nearly every aspect of our lives. And sometimes those rules seem to get in the way, certainly be very confusing. There are so many rules that we have a hard time remembering them, much less applying them. Or in the case of 2020 and 2021, the rules can change so rapidly that we feel like we're swimming in this constant state of whitewater, unable to keep up with the rules that are most current today. When this happens, we have a couple of choices. We can throw in the towel, throw the rules out, ignore them altogether. Or we can try to figure out a way to summarize those rules into something simple, a little bit more manageable, maybe a way to simplify the rules so that if we adhere to the summary, we're very likely to be following all the rules. Well, here are the three most basic principles when it comes to summarizing a set of rules or a particular text, right? First, summarize using your own words. So taking something from somewhere else and putting your own words to those things. That's rule number one. Rule number two, when it comes to summaries, are that they contain only the ideas of the original text. So we're not inserting ourselves, our opinions, our comments in any way into the summary. Those three things help us to make a good Summary. I was going to do something that I thought would be fun, but then it turns out that it's impossible. If we were to take all of the COVID rules over the last year and a half and try to summarize them, it probably, I'll bet a few of us could come up with some pretty funny summaries of what that would be like. If someone does have a great one, throw that in the chat because I think that could be pretty humorous if someone could actually accomplish that goal. But now, if you're going to try to summarize the teachings of the whole of scripture, how would you do it? That would be no easy task. Well, in Jesus's day, the scribes were experts in interpreting the law, interpreting the rules. The rabbinic tradition counted 613 commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. 248 were positive commands and 365 Ooh, one for every day of the year, were prohibitions. Those were the no's. How would you like to try to memorize all 613 of these commandments? I know I would not. Well, among the 613 commandments, the rabbis differentiated between what they called the heavy and the light commandments. The heavies were these uncompromising essentials. They were more demanding of people. And breaking the heavies often came with some serious punishment. It was not uncommon for people to ask respected teachers, rabbis, what they believed were the weightiest matters of the law, the most important rules, 
or they would ask a respected rabbi to try to summarize the Torah in a nutshell. The Jewish Mishnah and the Talmud show us a bunch of examples of famous rabbis who did exactly that. Well, 20 years before Jesus, Rabbi Hillel summarized the Torah by giving a negative version of the golden rule. Here's what he said. He said, what you would not want done to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's the entire Torah, Hillel said. He said, everything else is just interpretation. Rabbi Hillel was a baller. That guy, that's a great summary of the Torah. Well, Jesus too was prepared with his answer to summarize the whole of the 613 commandments. Anyone remember how Jesus summarized the 248 positive commands and the 365 prohibitions? I have admittedly a terrible memory. It's not my gift. But even I can memorize Jesus's perfect summary. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. He basically said, go all in on love. That's it. That is the greatest commandment, the one that summarizes all the commandments of the Torah. But too often, I think Jesus's great commandment is really more like the elephant in the room. We might picture millions of Christians from around the world gathering together in a pre-pandemic giant room, <laughs> milling about, talking about the importance of their faith, but ignoring this giant elephant in the middle of it all. They have to walk around it, strain to see around it, contort themselves to talk around it. The elephant is Jesus's greatest commandment. We're going to hear the God in the flesh Jesus say of all the things in the world, of all the commandments in the Bible, of all the things that you could invest your time or energy or money into, here it is. Here's the one thing. Love God and neighbor with everything you've got. There is no commandment, Jesus said, that is greater than these. He even goes so far as to equate this commandment with inheriting eternal life. Now, in some circles, that could be controversial. But here's the thing. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So why might this be in any way a controversial statement to some Christians, because sometimes you hear us pastor types mistakenly say that salvation or inheriting eternal life is only about believing the right thing about Jesus, not about one's actions. Now, before anyone tries throwing any things through their computer screens, belief in Jesus is extremely important. But here's the other thing. Jesus never separated belief from action like we sometimes do. The two things always go hand in hand. They belong together. One's actions or one's love shows the world what we really believe. Orthodoxy or right belief and orthopraxy, right living, go together. Will you join me in prayer? God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open up our minds. 
and lead us into your truth so that we might better open our hearts and our hands to our neighbors for the sake of Jesus Christ and the benefit of the world. Amen. Here we go from Mark 12, 28 to 34. This will set the context for what we've already started talking about. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You've truly said that God is one, and besides God, there is no other. And to love God with all your heart and your, all your understanding and with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, what we need to know about first century Judaism is that the rabbis reveled in debate. They would be perfect for our era today. <laughs> Maybe they still revel in debate. They could argue for days over the least important stuff. So the law gave them 613 reasons to engage in lively debate. How does Jesus summarize all the rules, that's what this scribe wants to know. Which command is supreme? Well, this story is pretty unique for a couple of different reasons. First, it's the climax to the series of debates that Jesus was having with his opponents in the temple. Second, it's also the only place in scripture where Jesus's interaction with a scribe is not completely hostile. And finally, it deals with this central ideological issue of what is the most important, the greatest commandment. And Mark, the gospel writer, surprisingly constructs this narrative around ambiguity. We don't even know for certain if this scribe is a friend or foe. Is this man a sincere disciple? Or is he just trying to get Jesus to reveal his political colors, the stripes, like the scribes had been doing to Jesus the whole time. It's hard to say. Mark doesn't tell us. But we get some clues when we see and look at Jesus's answer to his question. Jesus starts with what I might call cautious orthodoxy, perhaps the expected answer or the safe answer. He begins with the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. The Shema is the creedal statement of Judaism. It was recited by pious Jews every morning, every evening. It was recited by Jesus in one sentence using the word all 
four different times, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The scribe asked Jesus for one commandment. Jesus's brilliance is the addition of something new, something unexpected, an extremely radical thing that would have been anything but cautious orthodoxy. Many rabbis of Jesus's day could have answered with the Shema, but Jesus combines the Shema with another command that comes from the book of Leviticus which says, love your neighbor as yourself. Here, two widely separated commands are brought together. While both of these commands would have been warmly received by the rabbis, as far as we know, no one had ever combined these two things before into one until Jesus. For Jesus, the Shema, loving God, could only be fulfilled by loving one's neighbor. And it was in the loving of our neighbor that we demonstrate our love for God. In the Christian New Testament, in 1 John, John was picking up what Jesus was putting down. This is what John wrote. He said, those who say, I love God and hate their brother or sister are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen could not possibly love God whom they have not seen. So Jesus seems to be rejecting this religion that neglects the needs of our fellow humans, particularly as we know from all the narratives of the Gospels, particularly the needs of the vulnerable and the excluded. Love Jesus says fulfills the whole law, all 613 commandments of it. Love is the summary of all the rules. It's the one word that we must not only memorize, but learn to live by. Love is more than a feeling. This is something I say in every wedding I ever perform. Love is more than a feeling. It's an act of the will. The scribe, interestingly enough, is pleased with Jesus's answer. Jesus tells the scribe that he's very close, not far from the kingdom of God. But my question is, why is he only close to the kingdom of God? Why is this scribe not a guaranteed insider? So close, says Jesus, and yet still so far away. Jesus recognizes the scribe as thoughtful wise. Thoughtful is a great start, but thoughtful is as far as this scribe seems willing to go. Intellectually, the man agreed with Jesus' summary of the law, but he has yet to live into it or to live it out. He has yet to put love into practice. He has yet to actually live his life all in on love. And so Jesus might say he's not yet a disciple because he's not yet willing to follow Jesus on the path of loving God by loving his neighbor. This implies that orthodoxy or right thinking or right belief isn't enough. 
Belief has to be accompanied by orthopraxy, by right living, by living the way of Jesus, the practice of justice to one's neighbor. I think it's fascinating that the church often continues to push a scribe-like orthodoxy that fails to connect life or faith to the way of Jesus. Father Richard Rohr, whom I am a big fan of, captured this really well when he wrote this. Father Rohr said that we worshiped Jesus instead of following him on the same path. He said we made Jesus into a mere religion instead of a journey toward union with God and everything else. He wrote that this shift has made us into a religion of believing and belonging instead of a religion of transformation. Father Rohr knows the truth. Love is transformative for the lover and for the one being loved. Well, after Jesus finished, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Why not? Because Jesus had won the debate with the scribes. It was this mic drop moment. He had put the issue to rest. He bested the field. The debate was closed. This lack of connection between faith and action or belief and right living is captured for me as I was thinking about this in one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite movies. We'll see if anyone likes this movie. 1972 classic, The Godfather. This was the scene that came to mind when I thought about this text. The Godfather captures the disconnect between right living and right belief perfectly. Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, is becoming the godfather to his niece, while at the same time sealing his position as the godfather of the Corleone family in blood. The priest is doing his thing, while the perfect sleeping baby lies motionless in her mother's arms. Michael Corleone is all suited up. He's up front observing the baptism of his niece, knowing full well what his henchmen are plotting to do at that very same moment. The irony of the scene begins as the cameras show his men cleaning and loading their guns while his niece is being baptized. The priest begins asking Michael Corleone a series of questions about his faith in Jesus Christ. And then he gets to the last question, the one where he asks Michael Corleone to renounce Satan and his evil works. Michael quietly renounced Satan's evil works at the same moment that the cameras pan to his men gunning down his rivals in cold-blooded, calculated murder. The director, Martin Scorsese, shows us a glimpse into the Godfather's heart. The right words were spoken, but his actions did not align with his words. Jesus is exposing the scribes' hypocritical practices pertaining to the poor in much the same way that the film exposed Michael Corleone as a gangster whose religious practices were a complete 
and total sham. So how do we align our head and our heart? How do we align our belief with our living? I want to finish today with an image of what I think Jesus wants from you and me. This is my summary (laughs) of Jesus's commands, all right? It's a picture of me doing what I call the flying squirrel at family camp many years ago. (laughs) There may be one or two people who actually on this call today actually saw me do uh, the flying squirrel, right? This picture to me symbolizes commitment, all in commitment. I actually keep this picture next to my desk. One, because I think it's pretty cool. It's kind of faded in losing its luster. Doesn't look quite as good as it used to because it's pretty old. But two, because it's a picture of commitment. It's a picture of kind of going all out, just going for it. It reminds me that Jesus wants that kind of commitment from me when it comes to love. Jesus wants us all in on love because love not only fulfills all the rules and requirements or the law, it also transforms not only the lover, but the loved. And so maybe for a moment, we could try to imagine what a life What a life all in on love might look like. Or imagine for a moment collectively, what a church that's all in on love could look like. Imagine what impact we might have if we took Jesus's command to love God and neighbor more seriously than the scribes. Not only might we inherit the kingdom of God, but the world will certainly look more and more like this coming kingdom with every single act of love. So friends, orthodoxy, right belief, and orthopraxy, right living, go hand in hand. As much as we try to separate the two, Jesus brings them together. Amen.